All right, if you have your Bibles, you can just hold them for now. <laughs> um, I heard, uh, you may have heard this or read this this week. Um, it's something I heard on TikTok while I was scrolling mindlessly, mindlessly, I can't speak today, mindlessly through social media. Um, this question that came up, it says, how does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? And that kind of struck me because I was, I must be honest, I've actually never thought, thought about it. I was just like, we've heard the story. I went to Sunday school. I've heard every Easter message with the, the two thieves on the cross and Jesus. We've read it. We've kind of skimmed over it. But how does it affect my theology? You see, there was a man with no baptism. There was a man who had never taken communion. There was a man who had never been confirmed, if you come from that background. He had never spoken in tongues. He had never been on a missions trip. He had never sowed into the kingdom. He had never served. He had never been to church. He never wore church clothes. In fact, he was half naked on a cross. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. Amongst other things, he was a thief. See, Jesus didn't take his pain away. He didn't heal his body. He didn't smite his coffers. He didn't take him off the cross. Yet it was this thief who walked into heaven the same hour as Jesus did simply by believing. He had nothing more to offer than his belief in Jesus and who he distinctly was. There was no spin from the Pharisee. There was no brilliant theologians. There was no ego, no arrogance, no flashing lights, no well-dressed pastor, no clever words, no theatrics, no fog machine, no loud music, no donuts, no fancy coffee. Just a half-naked dying man on a cross unable to even lift his hands, but he believed, and he expressed his belief to Jesus. And that really struck me this week, because in John 3.16 it says, and most of us will know this really well, it says, for this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. You see, the first thing we see that God so loved, and this ties in with what we've been looking at the last few weeks of this thing of love. God so loved. He so loved you. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about the shame you carry. He doesn't care about the things that you do, the things that you hide. He doesn't care about the job that you have, the money you have, the status, the wealth doesn't care about your family background or your class that you think you come from. God so loved you that he gave his son, he gave his son to die for us on a cross. And this is a conversation that I've had with two of my clients from two very different backgrounds over the last few weeks. The first one is an unbeliever, someone of the local faith. And He can't get past the fact of the injustice of Jesus having to die for our sin. We had a long conversation that spanned probably about three or four hours um, over a week. And he just couldn't wrap his head around. It's like, why would God have to send one person to come to die for all of us? Isn't that unjust? He couldn't get his head around it. Not understanding that Jesus came willingly to die for us. To take his sin our sin upon himself so that we might walk in freedom. The other one is an orthodox Christian from a very staunch and more conservative background, 
for him, it's about the works that he has to do. It's about going to church. It's about taking the Eucharist. It's about certain performance he has to do through the week, about certain prayers that he prays, about observing certain days. That's what earns him his salvation and his good works in Christ. For him, he can't marry the fact that all he has to do is believe in Jesus. It doesn't make sense to him. He's like, but what about the good works that I'm supposed to do? But it says here that he gave his son so that everyone who believes, it's all it takes, it takes simple belief in Jesus, will not perish but have eternal life. And that is something that we can all walk in today, is that we can walk in eternal life if we believe in Jesus. It's that simple. Every person, every background, every lifestyle who believes in Jesus can be saved. And so this is a gospel that is so simple, yet so many have made it incredibly complex to try and explain the simplicity. I think sometimes in our human minds, it's difficult to accept something that could be so easy. And this is a conversation that I've had with both of these clients is that trying to explain the simplicity of what Jesus did offends their minds because they're like, how, but, but how can it be that easy? How, how could it be so easy to just believe in one person? And they can't wrap their heads around it. You see, but when we look at Jesus, what he says, what he did, we cannot deny the beauty and simplicity of the message of the cross. That he came and he died for our sins so that we might have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that this morning as we come to celebrate a weekend of your death and your resurrection, Father, where you defeated the hold and the grip of sin and death. And you came to bring victory, Father. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over everything in this world. We thank you that you so loved us, that you sent your son. And we thank you, Jesus, that you came and you gave yourself for us. And we thank you that in your death and in your resurrection and in your ascension, you then gave us the Holy Spirit so that we might know you and have a greater revelation and understanding of who you are and that our lives can be changed and transformed from glory to glory. Let's give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 23. You see, after reading this analogy of the thief on the cross this week, it really stuck with me quite a bit. And so I've been reading through Luke 23, and I want to focus on verses 29 to 43. And I want you to take... A look this morning at what we can learn about Jesus through this interaction. I'll be honest, this is nothing new. It's nothing groundbreaking. But if we allow this to arrest our hearts, we can see the revolutionary way that Jesus came to change the world. Jesus came to change a system that was all about what man can do to a system about what he did for us. And that all we have to do is believe in him. So Luke 23, verse 39 to 43, it says, uh, just to fill you in, this is the process where Jesus is on his way to be crucified. The whole chapter goes through this, the account of Pilate, where he gets handed over, and then the process of him carrying the cross up to um, Golgotha. 
And one of the criminals was hanging there. Sorry. One of the criminals who was hanging there rallied at him and said, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But this man has done nothing. Then Jesus said, uh, Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to read the same portion from the message translation. I just love the way that it puts it. It says, uh, one of the criminals hanging alongside cursed Jesus and said, some Messiah you are, save yourself, save us. But the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear in God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, not him. He did nothing to deserve this. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And he said, don't worry, I will. Today you will join me in paradise. You see, there were two thieves that were hanging on the cross. There was the one who taunted Jesus and the one that recognized Jesus. There was one that was very arrogant in his approach, in the way that he spoke to Jesus. There's another one that was humble and in awe of what Jesus was doing and understood what was happening. It was the humble one that rebuked the arrogant one. See, in the account of the Gospels, they refer to these men as thieves or as criminals. But if we look at the original Greek language that was used, the word that is used, I'm not even trying to pronounce it, but it refers to violent criminals plundering in violent and evil doing. So these were hardened criminals who had earned themselves a brutal physical torture and death. These are criminals who had taken away from other people that wasn't theirs. You see, we all fit into one of these two categories at some point in our lives. Either we recognize that we need a savior, or we believe that we don't. And sometimes we can move from one category to the other. And I think it's so important that we arrest our hearts and say, God, am I staying in a place where I recognize that I need you as a savior? You see, in some cultures and in some areas of the world, it's very difficult to convince people that they need a savior. It's very difficult to help people to understand that they need a God who loves them and cares for them. I was chatting to a friend of mine who lives in Australia a few years ago, and he says one of the biggest challenges that they have in the church there is helping people to understand that they need a savior. And he's saying the problem is you can work what's classif- what we would think as a lower job or something. Be a, you can be, work behind a till. And you can earn a salary that's just as good as a pharmacist next door to you. You can have a three-bedroom house, a car, two cats, a dog, and three children, and be comfortable, not wanting for anything. You'll work from eight to four, go home, go to the park, meet your friends, have a barbecue. Life is easy. There's no struggle. There's no fight because everyone generally has the same and isn't fighting and struggling for more. And so he said in their church, what they've struggled with is helping people to recognize the need for a savior. Understanding that, they, that though life might be comfortable and easy, there is so much more. And so we know that Jesus came so that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. If we recognize and acknowledge our sin, the authority and the power of Jesus, 
and we believe in him, we can be saved. And so I want to look at a few things that we can learn from the thief on the cross. And the first thing is that we all deserve eternal death. And I think that's so important for us to remember. In Romans 3, verse 10 to 11, it says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. And so often we think of death as a physical thing, but the death that they talk about here is an eternal separation from God. And I think that's quite scary. That's, that's what God has put us here on this earth to do, is to preach this message and the gospel of love, of a Savior that can save us from eternal separation from God. We are all sinners, and because of our sin, we have earned a death penalty. And so one of my clients that asked me about this, he said, well, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God in his infinite power and control just save everyone? And we had quite a long conversation. I'm, I'm giving you a summarized version. But eventually I said to him, you've got to understand it's not about a single moment. It's about the whole of eternity. We've got to take the story from Genesis to Revelation. We've got to take it as a big picture, understanding that with the Jewish people, there were laws that were put into place. And part of that was what we call the Old Covenant. And see, in the Old Covenant, man had to live according to 613 laws. And once a year, they would go to the temple and they would make sacrifice for atonement for their sins that the priest would do on their behalf. And they'd have to come with a perfect spotless lamb to do that. And that's how they would get forgiveness of sin. But because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, becoming the perfect spotless lamb for us, paying the price ultimately and once and for all, reconciling us to the Father, we can walk in his forgiveness because of his sacrifice. And so there was a transition from a physical law. This is one of the part of the conversation I had. Is that we can't, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill what man could not do. And he came and he took something that was a physical work that we had to do for our righteousness. And he take, took it to something spiritual. Something that he paid once and for all. Where we didn't have to do any work anymore. All we had to do was have faith. Faith in him and belief in Jesus. And so while we all deserve eternal death, Jesus came to save us. He came to pay the ultimate price for us. And that leads me to the second thing, is that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. The thief on the cross could not get off the cross and save himself. He could not, he literally could do nothing. He was nailed to a cross he couldn't do any good works quickly to save himself. He couldn't quickly go get baptized. He couldn't quickly do communion. He couldn't quickly serve in the church. There was nothing he could do. He couldn't go care for orphans and widows. But what he could do is express his love for a savior. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. And later on it says, I boast in Christ alone. I cannot boast in the things that I do. I can do all the good works in the world, but that's not going to save me. I can only boast in the fact that God has given us this gift of eternal life, of salvation through him. See, all the thief on the cross could do was recognize Jesus. 
and receive this gift of eternal life. Empty hands, a repentant heart, and a belief in Jesus. See, when the other thief taunted Jesus, he said, oh, why can't you save us? In arrogance, he wanted to be saved so that he wouldn't have to die on a cross. It was a physical salvation. Where the other thief on the cross recognized it was a spiritual thing that needed to happen in their hearts. It was about eternity, not about that moment. And that's so important that in that moment, he recognized this is the Son of God. He recognized that there was a place for repentance and there was a place for belief in him. And that leads me to the third point, that Jesus died for every sinner. I remember, I've told this story before, but when I went to Lloyd and Kat in the Philippines last year, we were sitting around in a circle one night, and one of the guys just started to share his testimony. And I'm not going to share his name, but I'm allowed to share his testimony here to tell us that, is that he had been a headhunter for politicians in the city where they live. And so... The politicians would be like, hey, listen, this other guy's been a bit of a problem. Sort him out. And he became a sniper. He would go and kill for people for money. And he did this for years and years. And he became known in the town where they live of being a person that should be feared because you never knew when he was going to come and kill you. Um, He would walk into bars and into the clubs, into restaurants, and people would go out of the way to make good with him. They free food, free drinks, like everything was easy for him. And then one day, his girlfriend convinced him to come to church, and he was like, not a chance. And he fought it for months and months. And one day, in the middle of the night, he had this dream that he died. And he dreamt that he went to hell. And he woke up, he's like, we're going to church. This was on a Wednesday. <laughs> I think it was a Wednesday. And he, uh, they went to Lloyd and Cat, and they just started talking. And he opened up about all the things he had done and said, how can God save me? I've taken life. I've done horrific things. I've hurt people. How can God save me? And it was a year-long process of talking, of praying, of having discussions, of Bible study, where he finally realized that, hey, God died for me. He died for my sin so that I can be saved. In Romans 5 verse 8, and this is one of the verses he shared shared with me, he's like, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And the beauty of the story is that this man, he's about six foot tall. He's probably about double the size of my shoulders. He's this big teddy bear of a man, soft, gentle, loving, kind. What the enemy had tried to rob him of and made him hard and callous and cold, he's shifted and he's just this man that radiates the love of God. He's the guy that will be in the front of the church, arms high, dancing, singing at the top of his lungs. And the beauty of this is that where he was once feared and people ran away from him, God has transformed his life through, through simple faith. And he's now the guy that the other men in the church feel welcomed, they feel loved. There's a story of a guy who came into the church from the community and saw him and wanted to run away and spent a few minutes at the back just eyeing him out because they had conflict in the past and just saw the change in his life. Saw this man that openly loved God and loved people and was transformed and absolutely just incredible story. You see, these thieves, just like this man, represented the worst in society. 
they violently took what they wanted, violating the safety and the security of others around them. You see, no one, no matter how grievous their sin, is beyond the grace of Jesus. You see, Jesus willingly suffered and died so that he could pay the price in full for our sin. There is nothing too big for God's grace in our lives. I've seen it in my life. There is nothing too big. I've seen it in the lives of other people. There is nothing too big for the grace of God. There is no sin that you might think is the worst thing in the world that is beyond the grace of God. There is no conflict or trouble or things you may have done or shame that the enemy is trying to trap you in that is too big for the grace of God. Absolutely nothing. Because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The fourth thing that we see is only Jesus can save. In Acts 4 verse 12 it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, the arrogant thief mockingly challenged Jesus to save himself from the two thieves. But in saving himself, all humanity would have no hope for eternity. And this is a conversation that I had with the local believer, is that he's like, well, why didn't Jesus just save himself on the cross? Why didn't Jesus just prevent the whole thing from happening? And one of the things that we spoke about is the fact that if Jesus had done that, all humanity would have been lost with no hope of a savior. See, man needed a savior. We needed someone to step in and be like, you know what? I'm going to do this for you. God, we see the story of the Israelites over and over of this thing where God makes a way and they walk in it for a little bit and then they fall away. And then God makes a way and they walk in it and they fall away. And it's just a cycle that goes over. He gave them laws. He, he gave them a plan of how they can do this. And they constantly fell short. I know for myself that I constantly fall short, even though I've got the grace of the Savior. And so how much more so that did we need someone to step in and save us? I remember saying a few years ago that we celebrate superhero stories in our house. Because if my kids can't believe in a Superman or a Batman or someone that's going to save us, how can I explain the superhero of Jesus to them? Because he was the ultimate superhero. He came in and he stepped in at a time, put himself aside, put himself his royalty, his kingship, his lordship, his godship, and died for us so that we might have eternal life. The ultimate superhero, paying a price that none of us could pay. By staying on the cross, Jesus could provide salvation because he was the perfect substituted sacrifice. And he, his death paid, the sin for, paid for our sin. And this is why Jesus is the only way of salvation. The next thing we learn is that neutrality is not an option. In John 3.18 it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so we either believe in Jesus as the Son of God or we don't. There's no way that we can sit on the fence and hop from one side to the other when it suits us. We cannot believe we are right with God but reject Jesus. We cannot sit on a fence and believe when it's convenient. 
at some point, we need to make that choice. At some point. <coughs> I think one of the things that really struck me with this is that so often we, um, I know in the society where we come from, the culture we come from, there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians. A lot of people that say, well, I'm a Christian. I was born a Christian. I go to church on Easter, Christmas, and sometimes on New Year's, and a wedding, and what well, we say, hatches, matches, and dispatches. <laughs> and so that's when people go to church. But they're, and they're like, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe. But then you look at the way they live the rest of the year, and you see, you see that there's no evidence of the fruit of God's love in their life, or the love for God in their life. And so we know that Scripture says, you cannot be lukewarm. He'll spit you out. You've Either you're hot or you're cold. Are you in or are you out? Are you standing on the fence and dipping your toe into belief when you need it, when you've got financial trouble or marriage trouble or you're facing big obstacles, but when you're on the, doing really well and things are going well and you get that raise and that promotion and you move to the lovely new country, suddenly you forget what you believe. And it's become what I can do. Well, look what I've done. I got promoted. I got a job. I got a salary increase. I can look after myself. But as soon as trouble comes, we're like, oh, God, please help me. Please save me. There comes a point where we need to make a choice. There is an active part of this that we need to take responsibility for. And it's not a once-off thing. It's a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly thing that we continuously do as we actively make this decision to pursue God and believe in him. And then the last thing is that Jesus receives humble belief. The thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus responds with, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What I love about that statement that the thief says, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We looked at this last year. With, a kingdom does not exist without a king. In that moment, that thief recognized Jesus as king. In that moment, he recognized that Jesus was so much more than what he was happening on that cross, but there was an eternity that was coming, a kingdom that he was establishing on this earth. And Jesus welcomed him into that place. You see, a humble thief recognized Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as a king. He recognized that he deserved his punishment. He recognized that in that moment, the consequence of the way that he had lived was the death on a cross. But he also recognized that what Jesus was doing was paying a debt that was not his. He's, and he says this to the other thief. He says he is paying a debt that is not his. And that's the beauty of what Jesus did for us. In that moment, the thief believed in Jesus and acknowledged who he was. There was a recognition. And his simple statement of belief saw Jesus welcome him into the kingdom. And so the first step into the kingdom is simple belief in Jesus. Recognizing who he is as the son of man as, and son of God. Repenting for our sins, knowing that only Jesus can save us. And I think this is the first step, is understanding that I need a savior. I know when I try to live my life in my own strength, everything goes pear-shaped. Suddenly, I'm kicking the dog, throwing dishes around, shouting at my children, unhappy in everything around me, getting angry, frustrated. But when I recognize that I need a savior, 
things change. You see, walking in freedom and knowing that we're saved through his grace and mercy is so important. Understanding that we have been made righteous, not because of what I can do or what we can do, not, not through doing certain requirements, not by living in a perfect way, but understanding that we have righteousness in Jesus because of what he has done on the cross. That it is not our works, but our faith in him that saves us. And so I want to, I'm going to close off now and I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to go into a time of worship. Daniel's going to lead us in some communion as well. So I want to pray for two groups of people. One is for those, if you're here for the first time or if you've come a few times, but you've never actually received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to make space for that this morning. You see, one of the things that is so important for us is to acknowledge that, hey, I'm a sinner. I fall short. I need a Savior. I need saving. And so I want to make space for that this morning. If that is you, I'm, going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. But I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to say that prayer with me. And then after the service, come to one of the leaders and just let us know so we can pray with you. And the second prayer I want to pray for is those who have understood, hey, I have made a commitment to the Lord, but sometimes I become that arrogant thief again, and I forget my need for a Savior. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means that sometimes we're human. We forget. We tend to try and do things in our own strength. And so I'm going to pray for that this morning. So I'm going to ask you all to stand. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for your incredible plan of salvation. I want to thank you that you saw a way to reconcile us to you, for a way to bring us into a place of righteousness, into a way that we can have salvation in you. And Jesus, as remember what you did on the cross for us, We just want to thank you. And so, Father, I pray for those who have never made this commitment, who have never said to you that we believe. Father, I pray, Lord, would you arrest our hearts this morning. And, Father God, as we say we believe in you, we trust in you, we know that you came to save us, and that we need a Savior, would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and touch hearts this morning? And then, Father, I pray for, for those of us who have made this commitment to you and said, Lord, we believe in you, but we still try and do things in our own strength. We still try to work out our own salvation. We still try to pursue this life, and we forget about you sometimes. Father, I pray, would you come this morning? in your kindness and in your mercy, would you show us where we are holding on to control in our lives and we haven't surrendered totally to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal these things in our hearts. And Lord, us, on behalf of all of us, I say uh, we surrender to you again. We surrender to you as King. We surrender to you, to you as Lord. We believe in you. 
We trust in you. We thank you for your grace that you have shown towards us and your mercy that you've extended. And we thank you. We just thank you, 